Well, let me just begin by saying good morning again, everybody. Welcome to worship. It's really great to be here with you. I want to say welcome and good morning to those of you joining us online. If you're on live stream or on TV in our traditional service, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad that everyone has this opportunity to be connected in all these different ways to learn together about Jesus, to be restored together in the life that Jesus has for us. So it's Valentine's Day today, right? It's Valentine's Day. Would you believe me if I told you that all this love stuff that we planned for today, this kind of a coincidence that it happened on Valentine's Day? You, no, you wouldn't believe me? Here's why you should believe me. You can ask my wife. She will tell you, I have not remembered Valentine's Day in advance for 15 years. <laughs> Certainly not going to happen just this year. It is nevertheless, planned or not, a great day to talk about the love of God. We've, we've been in a journey together, started five or six weeks ago, a journey together called Restored. And we're recognizing that we are, as that video says, stuck sometimes. We get broken sometimes, and we need to be restored. We're living lives that are less full of joy, that are less full, less full of relationship with God, less full of relationship with other people than God made us for, and that God intends us for, and God intends to restore us. And in this journey, the first thing that we've done in, in, in these opening steps of this journey has been to seek to be restored in our imagination of God, in understanding the character and the heart of God. What's God like? Sometimes we have our own pictures that we form or that we pick up along the way somewhere. And we're learning to understand the heart and character of God in the way of Jesus. And today in particular, we're talking about God's love, about the love at the heart of God. And I'll just tell you up front today, I'll, I'll say more about this a little bit later in the message, but I'll just tell you up front that I think the truth that we're talking about today, that I pray that we're learning more about today, is probably the single most transformative truth in my own life journey. Now, I'm still definitely on a journey. I have a long way to go and a lot to learn. But when I look back, I can say, I'm on a different path for this journey. I'm on a different road from the road that I would have been on, if not for the lesson we're talking about today, about God's love. To, to start talking about that, I actually want to kind of go back a little bit, though, and I want to tell you a story. And it's a story about a dog. I'm a dog person. My family were dog people. And before Amy and I ever had our first puppy, which we had before we had our first child, you know, a tryout kind of thing, our, our friends had a puppy. This is when I was back in graduate school. I had a, a colleague in, in our department. Her name was Christy. Christy was married to a guy named Steve. Great name. So Steve and Christy, they had a dog named Lucy. They adopted a dog. And so she was like our first canine niece, right? We were trying that one out too. And so Lucy was a great dog. She was a mix. She was a lab and Belgian shepherd mix, maybe 40, 50-pound dog, real cute, and just a great personality, super gentle, love people. And, you know, they'd bring her over to our house, and we kind of had a house outside of town, and she'd run around the yard, and we'd visit their apartment real close to the university, and she was always right there by you, you know? And Lucy and I kind of had a special bond. I, for some reason, I tend to bond with dogs, and <laughs> Lucy and I don't, maybe it's my appetite or something, I don't know. So Lucy and I, we bonded. She'd always come by me, and I would pet Lucy, and I would pet Lucy, and then the same thing would always happen if I ever stopped petting Lucy. She'd lean in harder, put her head on my lap, put her paws on the chair, right? And then, in addition to that, she would do this whining thing, right? She, you, you can't take your hand off. And I thought about, like, trying to mimic the whine for you, but nobody really wants to hear that. So uh, she would just whine. And uh, Amy and I used to say, it kind of sounds like she's leaking, you know, like, like a balloon or the air is just leaking out of Lucy all the time. And so you have to keep petting her. And she's a sweet dog. She's great. What we, real, what, we, what we began to say about her, I think Amy coined the phrase, it's like her love tanks are permanently empty. You know, like they're just leaking and you can't give her enough love. She needs love all the time. Lovely dog, but man, did she need love all the time. 
Have you ever known a dog like that? Like, did you ever own a dog that just never could leave you alone? They were like that. Have you ever known a person like that? <laughs> All right. Or you know what I'm going to ask, right? <laughs> Do you ever recognize any of yourself in that? That maybe there's like a hole in the bottom of your love tank somewhere, and you wish that that tank could get filled up, but it keeps draining out? And you're looking for it somewhere. You're trying to find it. We, we all have a deep need to be loved. I think we all have a need to love and be loved. And when our love tanks are empty, and when we are not sure that we're going to get enough or we don't have enough, it kind of comes out sideways in our lives sometimes in ways that really don't help us a lot and don't help anybody else. Sometimes it comes out in just the way you'd expect, kind of like Lucy. I mean, we just get a little bit whiny and needy and we're craving affirmation and attention and we just are trying to grasp after anything we can. And honestly, it can be exhausting for us. And if we're telling the truth, it, it exhausts the people around us too. Sometimes that insecurity that we feel from the emptiness of our love tanks, some of us are, we have different skills on how to hide that. And we hide it with overconfidence and arrogance. Sometimes the most overbearing, overconfident people you know are also the most insecure people. I honestly think, think that's been part of my journey. We hide that underneath. Sometimes we go looking for love in all the wrong places. And we make relationship choices that we later regret. And some of us make them over and over again. And every time we realize, why am I doing that? But we're looking for somebody to fill up a hole in us, to fill up an empty tank in us that we just can't seem to fill. And it's really, it, it hurts. One of the things that I think causes this dynamic in so many of us is that over the course of our life journey, we somehow form, we pick up the lesson that love is conditional, that love is earned, that, that approval and affirmation are based on how we do and rarely do we ever do good enough to get enough. And we learn this lesson sometimes in the most innocent ways. It can be formed in us in childhood. You know, we can have the best parents in the world and still, we get more affirmation and more approval and more adulation the better we do. When we do good things, we get positive feedback, and we like that positive feedback. It fills us up. And when we don't, we don't. So we kind of get programmed. We want to do this, and we believe that that affirmation is based on what we do. And it can happen in school or sports or music. The better we do, the more attention that we get. And we want that, and we crave it to fill our tanks. It happens in our adult lives it's based on your achievements, on your income, on your smarts, on your looks, people start to give you more affirmation. They give you more attention, they give you more adulation based on the things that they see on the outside and the things that we do, and we crave it. And so we start to do or chase the things that will give us that affirmation. But somewhere along the way, something had happened in our lives that, that put a hole in the bottom of the tank. And so no matter what we chase and no matter what we grasp after, it's never enough. And we get like Lucy with our empty love tanks. And we need to be healed of that. I believe we can be healed of that. We can be healed of that when we know for us the unshakable, unconditional love of God for us. And I want to spend this morning talking to you about that. I want to give you two pictures of the unconditional love of God for us from the life and death of Jesus. The first one comes from what's probably the world's most famous Bible verse. Many of you have heard it before. If you've never heard it or read it before, you may have seen it on a poster at a football game. 
It's John 3, 16. Did anybody see the Super Bowl last week, by the way? I don't think I saw it on TV this time. Anyway, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I think one of the reasons that verse is so famous is because it's about the love of God. It's because we're hungry for it. We know, we react to that, we resonate with it. For God so loved the world. Like, yeah, give me that. I will take that. We need that verse. And it's been a great affirmation and comfort to many. And yet I think for as famous as that verse is, it's a little bit underread or a little bit underestimated. And I want to clear up one thing about that verse for you. For God so loved the world. And a lot of us, when we hear that verse, the first thing we think when we hear the word so is God loved the world so much. God so loved the world. He loved the world over the top to the extreme that he did this. And that's not entirely wrong. That probably is true. But there's more to it than that, actually. The word that's translated as so in most of our English translations might be more clearly translated as like this or in this way. So when you, when you hear that verse, I want you, for God loved the world like this, that he gave his only begotten son. God loved the world in this way. This is how God loved the world. I think that's important, maybe on Valentine's Day more than any other time, because there's, man, Hallmark is trying to tell you what love is like, right? And it tastes like chocolate and it smells like flowers. <laughs> and, and guys, get some chocolate and flowers. It's a good idea. <laughs> but, but Christian love is, is deeper than that. John tells us, in the words of Jesus, that this is what God's love is like. God loved the world like this, that he gave, that he laid down his life, that Jesus was willing to die for you. Let me ask you to think about this for a second. Just take a little self-reflection reflection question. How much must you matter to God? Like, what must your value in the eyes of God be that Jesus, embodying the love of God, would actually die for you? Think about the person in life who loves you more than anybody else. And I'm not going to ask you to say this out loud, but do you think they would die for you given the opportunity? I mean, maybe, sometimes, maybe. How much must you matter to God? How much must you be loved by God? How precious must you be in the eyes of God that Jesus would lay down his life for you? That's the line of thinking that got through to me 25 years ago. That, that transformed my life, that's put me on a different path that I'm still walking out, but it's a different road from the one I would have been on before because I was on the performance plan. I was on the plan where I was trying to earn affirmation, where I wanted people to like me and I needed people to affirm me and give me their approval and sometimes I probably was a little bit whiny about it and a little bit needy and other times I was overbearing and overconfident and I had friends who loved me enough to tell me that. That was me sometimes. I went looking for love. I was trying to fill up my love tanks that had a hole in the bottom. And I wanted to be smarter than that person and better looking than that person. I was playing the comparison game. Is there anybody else here that ever compared yourself to anybody else? Because you were on the performance plan. Because you needed affirmation and approval and love and you wanted to be like that person or this measuring stick, right? And one day, I can remember where I was. I was sitting on a chair in my bedroom in my parents' house when I was a teenager. And I began to think, oh my goodness, how much must I already be loved if God loved me like this, that Jesus is willing to die for me? And if my value is set there, if there's, there's not anything I can do to add to that, to be more loved than that. There's no performance that I could put on. There's no, there's no affirmation I could get from anybody that could ever set my value more securely than that. I'm rock solid. And furthermore, there's not anything that I could do, and I was doing plenty, that could lower my value because God recognized me as his child 
and the embodied love of God in Jesus Christ set my value. Nowadays, if that were me, I'd probably be all stressed out over how many Instagram followers I had and how many people liked my last post and how popular I was. And I realized it doesn't matter because the love of my heavenly father is rock solid and healed the hole in the bottom of your love tank, right? I want you to hear that. I want you to know that that's for you, that that's how high your value is. You're not on the performance plan anymore. You don't need to crave other people's affirmation. It's not gonna make your value go up any higher. You don't need their approval. You don't need to look like anybody else. You don't need to measure up to whatever because you are so loved by God. You are so loved by God that he would love you like this, that Jesus would lay down his life for you. This is a picture of God's love for us in the death of Jesus. And I wanna give you another picture of God's love today, a second one, from the life of Jesus. Uh, a friend of mine encouraged me a few weeks ago or a month ago. You might say he uh, exhorted me or admonished me. <laughs> he said, children spell love, T-I-M-E, right? Your children receive love from you by the amount of time that you spend with them. They spell love, T-I-M-E. I think Jesus got that. I think during Jesus' life, he spelled love, T-I-M-E. And he poured out his most precious resource of time. Nobody ever gets any more time than you've got. You can't bank it up, save it. You, you can only reallocate it. That's all you can ever do, right? And the amount of time he had, he spent on people who hadn't earned it. Who, if they were on the performance plan, weren't going to get it. One of the central practices of Jesus' life, and sometimes I find myself saying Jesus' life and ministry as if those are two different things, but one of the reasons I follow Jesus is because life and ministry were the same thing, because it's an integrated whole, right? One of the central practices of Jesus' life was that he would share his time and table, his meal. He would sit down and eat with people who hadn't earned his time and talk with them about God, right? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. I can just imagine Jesus sitting down at the table and, and Mary Magdalene is there who was one of Jesus' followers and we don't know exactly what her past was but she seems not to have had the best reputation with everybody else. Mary Magdalene was sitting at the table probably figuring that everybody else was embarrassed that she was there. But Jesus, who's like, Mary, you look hungry. Take some bread. Could you pass it down to James and John over there? I'm so glad you're here. Zacchaeus across the table. Zacchaeus knew everybody was mad he was there. He didn't deserve a second shot. He'd already wronged everybody at the table and cheated them. And Jesus looks over at Zacchaeus and sees the doubt in his eyes. He's like, hey, Zach, man, good to see you. Peter's thirsty. Can you pour some more wine? I'm glad you're here. And he gathered people at his table and poured out his T-I-M-E-L-O-V-E -E to them because they mattered, because they mattered to God. Right, and there were other religious leaders who were always so mad at Jesus for doing this. And he had to explain to them over and over again. And they wouldn't get it because they had one sort of grid for the world. They had a performance plan view of the world. And Jesus had a grace plan view of the world. And one time he told them, we already learned today, like the most famous verse in the Bible. Jesus' most famous story is about this same truth. When people asked him, why are you doing this? You're there with Mary and Zacchaeus and everybody else whose names we don't even know. And Jesus said, think about it like this. And he told them a story a story that we've come to call the parable of the prodigal son. It's about this young man who insulted his father. He was the son of a pretty wealthy family, a lot of reputation in the community. And he insulted and disgraced his father, stole his father's money, and ran away. He went far away and blew that money because as young men sometimes do, they waste their money. <laughs> and he did. And he went, and now thinking about it this way, I think I realize he was trying to, he was trying to buy something to fill his love tanks. 
that were just not full. They kept emptying out the bottom. And in Jesus' story, he says he went and spent all he had on wild living. (laughs) He threw all kinds of parties. His older brother later accuses him of wasting the father's money on prostitutes. He's trying to buy love. He's trying to buy companionship. And it kept running out the bottom of his love tank. And finally, his wallet is as empty as his love tank. And he has to get a job. And he finds this demeaning work that he has to do that causes him to lose whatever remaining shred of self-respect he had. And he hits rock bottom. He's actually feeding pigs. Maybe we should call it mud bottom. And there he is. And it dawns on him. I wonder if my dad would give me a job. And he realizes, because although he apparently isn't very wise, neither is he stupid, he realizes I'm not worthy of that. On the performance plan, I haven't earned it. So he thinks to himself, this is what I'm going to tell my dad. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, right? Clear as day. I got it. But could you give me a job? Would you let me sleep out back? So he goes home. Jesus said he had traveled to the far country, and so he had a far walk back, and he gets back, and when he, get, when he gets there, he sees his father running down the road to him to embrace him, to welcome him home, and he starts his speech. He goes, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And there's this little detail in the story that, I mean, I've told this story a lot of times, and I never even focus on this, but I think it's a really important little detail that dad doesn't let him even finish, right? He hears, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he gives him a ring for his finger, signs of being welcome in the family, shoes on his feet, kills the fatted calf, puts a robe around him. Because it's not about that. If it were, yes, you're no longer worthy to be called my son. But it's not that you have the wrong answer. It's you've got the wrong question. It's not about whether you're worthy of it. It's not about what you did. It's not about your past. Now you wasted the money. It's about you being my child. And there wasn't anything you did that made you not my child. There's not anything you can do that's going to make you not my child. And so he welcomes him back and puts him in the family. Not everybody thought that was a good idea, but Jesus said the love of the Father is like that. I want you to know that for you. That Jesus says the love of God is like that for you. Whatever far country you've wandered into, whatever decisions you've made have nothing to do with your identity as a child of God. It's not about that. It's not about the stuff you beat yourself up for. It's not about the stuff that people have done to you that have made you wonder about your worth. It's about you being a child of your heavenly father. This is the truth that transformed my life. And then... God got through to me again about that in a new way just a couple months ago. And I haven't really shared this story with many people yet. But it happened when uh, we had our men's retreat in the winter just a couple months ago. We were at our man camp men's retreat. Some of you guys were there, I know. And on Saturday night, we had some worship and some prayer time. Some of you might remember the, the prayer that we were sharing together. One of the things that happened to me during that time when we were all together, we were singing and praying and And I believe God gave me a a picture to help me appreciate his love in a new way, a new step of that for me. And the image I got was an image of my kids. And centrally, the image was of when I come home a lot of times in the evening from my office and maybe one will be playing the piano or doing homework or goofing around or playing video games or something. And when I come in, they'll come run to the front door and I'll throw my arms around them and, and I'll bend down and bury my nose in the top of their head, you know, and, and just inhale the smell of their hair. I mean, that's, that's the top. That's, that's as good as it gets for me. At night, sometimes we'll lie down or talk before bed, and I'll hear about their day, and it's just as good as it gets for me. And what God, I think, was asking my heart there in that moment 
was, do you think my love for you is any less than the love that you have for your kids? Do you think that you're any less precious to me? Do you think that I value time with you any less than you value time with your kids? That's a joke, right? I mean, the love that I have for my kids is one of the strongest forces in my life, and yet it's a fraction. It's a morsel of the way our Heavenly Father sees us. And one of the applications of that in my life that I was processing in that moment was the value of my time alone with God, my prayer life, my reading of Scripture, and how that's not just for me, but that God would actually value that time with me. Can you imagine the love of God for you? That God would be delighted in you, would take joy in you, would run down the road, as Jesus said, and throw his arms around you and say, you are my child, and that he would delight in you. And then just imagine for a second, what if that ever sank in? You know, what if you believed that? What if we ever believed the words and the actions of Jesus who embodied the love of God for us and we began to believe that we were precious children of God? That that, that Jesus' love could heal the bottom of our love tank and fill us up. And what if we were no longer craving for affirmation and no longer hiding it under false bravado and no longer looking for people's approval and no longer trying to measure our achievements and compare ourselves to other people, but we would wake up in the morning with our love tank already filled. Could you imagine what that would feel like and what that would do to our relationships? And I like to imagine not only what that would do in your individual life and mine, but what that would do to us as a people right, as a community. Could you imagine when we come together on Sunday mornings, when we gather in our community groups in your homes or for those groups that meet here in our building, when you gather in service teams and you go to the Ramsey County Family Service Center, you travel to Haiti, or you pour out love in whatever way God has programmed your heart to pour out love, and we're in those relationships, and you come back to that environment a second time, and something in your heart goes, I remember what it was like to be here last time. I'm loved here. Right, And I love these people. And you see them on Sunday morning and you go up to somebody because you just, you're just so happy for them and you delight in them in a little tiny fraction of the way that God delights in them and delights in you. And, and could you imagine what that would be like for people who come here for the first time? Some of you are visiting this morning for the first time. I mean, we're on a journey with this. We're not really perfect. I know you know this better than I do. But this is who we want to be. This is who we dream about being. That when you would come in this place or a friend invites you to come here, that you would come and I would want guests to look around and see the the life together of our church family and go, "I, I don't know how to say this, but I think they love each other, you know? I think they might even love me. Can you believe it? That's what Jesus said would happen among people who follow him. He very famously said to his disciples, his apprentices, his students, He said, by this, in this way, everyone will know that you follow me, that you're with me, that you are more impressive than everybody else, that you're smarter than everybody else, that as a church, you have a cooler building and louder music than everybody else. No, that's not right, right? This way, everyone will know that you are my people, that you follow me, that you love one another that you are filled up with the love of God, that you are secure in the unconditional love of God and enabled not to suck love over and over again at the bottom of your love tank, but that it overflows out of you. You've been healed by the love of God and you love others.
The only way I've ever experienced that happening in my life is by the power of God's spirit getting through to me. I mean, through the witness and the love of other people, through the teaching of the Christian church that I was a part of, and yet for years and years it didn't actually sink in, but God used those words to get through to me. And so I I just wanna close the time that we have here praying for the power of God's Holy Spirit to live in us, to speak to our hearts, and, and to create, to heal, and to create love in us. So let's, let's pray together. Good, gracious, all-loving God, thank you for your love. God, we bring to you our hurts, we bring to you our pains, we, we bring to you whatever has happened in our lives that has is, that is rotted a hole in the bottom of our love tanks the corrosive words and actions and relationships that have wounded us, the false imaginations of you that we have picked up over the years, and we pray that you would heal us. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would be so present to us, that we would be aware of your presence and that you would heal our hearts, and God, that you would plant our feet on the solid ground of your unshakable, unconditional love, that you would cause us to stand up straight, that you would be the lifter of our heads and the lifter of our hearts, that you would fill us up with love. God, that you would overflow us with love. And I pray that you would cause your self-sacrificial cross-shaped love to become the character of our lives and the character of our shared life in this community. God, that you would cause it to be so as you said it would be, that by this people would see you in us, know that we are yours that we love one another. God, fill us up, cause us to love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.